Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because, and this is true, people, it really is. What it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Just the way it goes. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing, the writing life. My uh, thrice-weekly blog is there where I write about you know, just what it's like to be a creative person, what it's like to face the page and make something on purpose. It's quite an experience, and I got a lot to say about it, apparently, because that's on there in my blog, uh, plus articles by feature, like by Jennifer Paris, uh, full disclosure, my lovely wife, but a great writer and artist, and also guest uh, uh, writers. Plus, we do video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors, Across the genres, uh, you know, in fact, um, I gotta have a, we got a new issue coming up here in a couple days, and um, I just uploaded my interview with Gail Carriger, who's a steampunk author, very cool woman. Uh, she had been an archaeologist, of all things, and then she turned to fiction, and her book, Soulless, if you're into the world of steampunk and sort of romance, sort of not urban fantasy. Um, she's very funny, very smart woman, had a lot of interesting things to say about comedy, about pacing, about, um, about steampunk and why people are into it. Very cool woman, Gail Carriger. Check it out, authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You know, they, they do a conference every year, uh, always in September. People are signing up for it already. You can do that. If you sign up now, you, I think you get, I think, please don't hold me to this. I think you get two, you get double the number of uh, spots to pitch agents and editors if you like to pitch. So, uh, so you can sign up now. I believe it's cheaper now than it will be later on. So, so it's a great conference. Uh, again, it's going to be in September. And so that's uh, pnwa.org. I should also mention the PNWA does classes. And in fact, I just did uh, a fearless writing class last Saturday and it went great. We were kind of, I think we were at capacity really is what we could fit in the room. And so it's lovely. And it was such a kind of hit i we're going to unless something goes sideways i think starting in maybe february or maybe march probably march we're going to do one a month one fearless writing workshop a month so if you're in the uh, pacific northwest and you've been wanting to do a fearless writing workshop with me whether you're a member of the pnwa or not you can attend you get a break if you're uh, price wise if you're a member of the pnwa so i encourage you to sign up but i'm going to be doing one a month so you can come to one you can keep coming and just come in and and uh talk about all the blocks and things that people uh people suffer with and they try to get over and uh i love teaching them there's a great vibe in the room when we do the class so uh, it's pnwa.org. I will keep you folks updated if, in fact, we're going to do that, and I think we probably are. All right, speaking of uh, fearless writing, we're going to do something different today, do something a little different. Um, and then for this, I don't have, a, don't have an author I'm going to talk to, but I do have my fabulous producer, R.J. Jeffries. R.J., how you doing? I'm doing very well, Bill. Let me first of all say 
how grateful I am for the opportunity to be able to do this essential show with you and also give another nod to PNWA. They're an incredible organization. Your yeah. lectures are outstanding. So if people are in that area, they must go. It's mandatory. If they live a better life <laughs> and write the book they want to read. They want to read. That's right. That's right. And so this is, we're doing something a little different. This was actually, uh, this, today's show was RJ's idea. And what happened was, I, so I'm a member, I should, actually, this is, I'm a part of something on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, and a lot of you are, there is something called the Writer's Digest Author, Authors Exchange. Fearless Writing was published by Writer's Digest. And they have a Facebook group called uh, the Author Exchange run by a couple Writer's Digest authors. This is a great Facebook group uh, that I'm a part of. I'm one of, it's a bunch of the um, Writer's Digest authors. Uh, each week, one of them posts something five days a week or six days a week about writing. I do little videos and live podcasts. Some people push, post advice or, or whatever it is. And it's a, it's a growing group. It's up to like 1,000 people. It's awesome. And so I had posted a video called Everyone Has What It Takes. Uh, it's something that I bring up sometimes. And RJ, you said, Bill, we got to do a show. We got to do a show. You really liked the video. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. So it was your idea. So thank you for the idea. It was a good one. You're welcome. Uh, um, and so this is kind of, this is where the, this is where the started. I, some of you know my story. You've probably heard me talk about it, but my story is that I was, uh, I was a, I've been writing all my life, but I went through a phase when, you know, for years I wrote stuff and wasn't selling any of it. I mean, a long time. Um, and I was writing novels then, and I was working in restaurants to support my family as a waiter. And uh, it was pretty rough on me, not uh, writing and not selling. That kind of rejection, that consistent rejection was pretty rough. I didn't ever stop. I wrote and wrote and wrote. Uh, I would do it every day, regardless, every day, five days, six days a week. Um, but, you know, we'd get close and almost and almost and almost. It was pretty rough. And I was starting to feel worse and worse about myself, sort of the older I got, you know, and I'd wonder if maybe I just wasn't sort of cut out for it. It didn't seem true, but nothing was working, you know, or I was coming close. There was some kind of cog in the wheel I felt and so at the same time so I'm a father of two boys and my second son named Sawyer was diagnosed on the autism spectrum and he was diagnosed because of his behavior he had a habit of talking sort of more to himself than other people who do other things as well he would flap like a lot of kids do on the spectrum and hum and sort of thump on his chest but I won't get into all the behaviors but it was some very strange behavior I thought Kind of loved the kid. I thought he was bright, but we wanted him to thrive. I didn't know if he would or I didn't understand how he could. And I didn't always understand how to be his father. There was a great temptation because he was doing these things that I wasn't used to. There was a temptation to see him as broken, you know, because I sort of believed in broken people. Uh, I didn't know it consciously, but I had always believed that some people just there's just something sort of wrong with them, some gear loose, and so things aren't just going to work out for them. And I, so I was sort of trying to fix Sawyer, which is what a lot of parents with kids who are considered special needs, I don't like that term. I think we all have special needs, really. But 
kids like Sawyer who just aren't doing it regularly, especially when he was young, especially when he was young. And uh, so my wife and I, you know, we, there's therapies. We never did drugs, but we did some, we were thinking about diet, omega-3 oils, all the kind of things you do. But the biggest turning point for me with him was when I realized that he, he wasn't broken, that you can't fix what, what isn't broken. And, but the only way to not see him as broken and try to fix him is if no one was broken because I, she sure kind of looked that way sometimes. And I couldn't fool myself into saying, well, he's not broken, but you know, my dad is, or the president is, or whoever didn't work. The only way for me to know he wasn't broken is if no one is. And it was. And, and so that was the decision I made. And I'll tell you, it wasn't easy to see a world without broken people. because I saw them all the time. So I started doing practice, no matter what I was doing, is what if I saw someone doing something. And for some of you know, I wrote a piece about this for the New York Times. And if you follow me, you might have read it. And so I kind of break it down in that article. You can find it. It's on the Internet. But I would go around and I would look at people and I'd say, I know he looks broken, that guy shouting on the street corner, that person saying unkind things. But what if no one is broken? Then what am I seeing? Aren't I just seeing someone afraid? Aren't I just seeing someone confused? Isn't the, isn't the behavior a kind of veil I have to look past to see who they really are? And it became a constant practice. I'd have to look in the mirror and say, well, I know you look broken maybe because you feel like a failure. But what if you're not? What are you actually seeing? Someone trying, someone still interested, someone who wants to. So that was that. You know, it became a kind of a daily practice. And then one day I sat down to write and I realized that, and so I've been practicing and practicing this thing of trying to see a world without broken people, all because I loved Sawyer and all because I just wanted to be his dad. But really it was a great spiritual practice, although I didn't call it that at the time. I sat down to write and I realized that there is this question hovering over a lot of writers, which is, uh, do I have what it takes you know, do it because it seems like the world of writers is filled with people who do and don't. Uh, there's people who try to sell a book and don't, never do, start books and don't finish them. And there's a lot of books we might read and not like and think, well, that guy or that woman has no talent, but this one really has talent or has ability. Within the artistic world, I think, and certainly within like with the athletic world of which I was a part when I was a young man. In the arts, there is a sense, I feel, a narrative of those who've got it and those who don't, those who have talent and those who don't. And so, and to some degree, every time I'd sit down to write, even though I, I, would, I wouldn't just be asking myself, how can I tell this story, although I would ask that, because that's the question you have to ask when you sit down to write. I'd actually be asking myself, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Because if I don't have what it takes, I can't do it, right? You can't bake bread without flour. And so what if I don't have it? whatever it is. And so I was quietly asking myself that question. So every time I'd sit down to write, I was sort of trying to prove to myself that I did. I wasn't just trying to tell the story. I was trying to prove that I had what it took. So I could do this thing, wanting the evidence that I did. Because I, I had to have what it takes. I had to, because this was the only option. There was nothing else I was going to do. And then, like I said, after doing, after spending all this time working with Sawyer, working with myself, looking at the world differently. I sat down and I thought, what if everybody has what it takes? 
What if that's how you know you have what it takes? That everybody does. And the reason it looks like some people don't is just that they don't believe that everyone has what it takes. That the more you accept that, the more you free up your own inherent genius. That the idea that you might not have what it takes is like an obstruction to the to the, your access to your own genius, your own intelligence. It, the question's unanswerable, and so it shouldn't be asked. And everybody has what it takes. And if that's true, then that's how I absolutely know. And now I don't have to answer that question anymore. Now I only have to answer what's the story I want to tell. And when I took that question off the table, it freed me up so much. And a lot of the writers I work with, so Jeff, I, you know, you've heard me do the fearless writing classes or the versions of them online. And yes. a, lot, a lot of the times I think to some degree, although they don't always say it, but that's kind of a question hovering around. They say it in different ways. Why am I blocked? I feel unoriginal. I feel like uh, the market, people aren't interested in my stories. There's a lot of ways people phrase it. But I think that that's kind of at the central, that's kind of, but I think what they're not saying is just that central idea. Do I have what it takes? Do I or don't? And in fact, I don't know if you've worked, I know you've worked with people. I don't know if you've taught, but I know you've worked with people. And sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, well, listen, can you just tell me if I'm any good because I don't want to do this thing if I'm not. Have you ever had anybody ask you, know, you that? I think, Bill, I think essentially all of the questions that they're asking me about, they're writing their blocks and all that things, the nucleus of it is that they really want that answer. Yeah, they want to know. And I get it. I'm you, know, yep. you know how I felt when I was a kid, when I was a young man, teenager, and I'm so, so you know, by the, teen, by the way my biography went, by the time I was a teenager, I knew I wanted to be a writer. That was what I wanted. So I'd show it to teachers or my family or whatever, and they'd say, oh, that's really good. And what I was thinking was, what do you mean? Do you mean good as in actually good, like if you saw it in a magazine it would be good? Or do you mean like, yeah, oh, yeah. You're, you're, I love you and isn't, I'm proud that you're doing this? I wanted the real answer, you know? Does that make sense? I wanted to know its value, and, and that's something that's very difficult to put a value on, but that's what I want to know. What's it worth? Yeah, yeah. What's it worth? It's almost like saying, what am I worth? It's really a horrible it is the same, It's essentially, I believe, the same thing. And, ah, ah, and so this brings me to, the, to, to why this question is challenging. Because when we talk about worth, right, you look at a, a painting hanging on the, in a gallery. We say, well, that one's worth $400. That one's worth $1,000. This one's free. You can just have. So we assign, you know, price tags to, you know, all Value. the paintings hanging you know, or a house value, right? Value. And um, the idea that everyone has what it takes is really, in my mind, what I think of it as is radical equality, meaning everyone is inherently equal. It asks the author, and, and the reason I bring it up is writers spend a lot of time ranking themselves and compare, and for all their desire for political equality and economic equality, which I'm all for, when they get down to the writing experience, these very well-meaning people, there's tons of comparison and judgment and ranking. This one's better than that one. 
this one won, this one sold this many, and this one. There's just tons of comparisons of this one is better than that one. This one is a more valuable storyteller than that one. I hear it all the time, and I feel like it undoes us because it suggests that we are not all at core equal. And we are. We are. We may not love all the stories that we read equally, and I won't. There's going to be stories I want to read and stories I don't. And there's going to be stories I want to tell and stories I don't. But that is different than every storyteller being equal and everyone's voice being equally valuable. Everyone's voice being equally valuable. It's not so easy. That's radical equality. Does that make sense, Jeff? Yes, it does. What I find what bonds us as writers, colleagues, when we collaborate, I think what binds us most is our humility towards our work. Ah, that we ooh, good. I like it. We go aside and just say, and look at it as, in its pure essence through, through, through being just grateful to have the opportunity yeah. to do it. And, and that brings this sense of joy. And that way we can yeah. filter out all the other bad thoughts or negative thoughts and just look at it at face value and be able to, with humility, receive the acknowledgement. That, they, I believe, will actually believe it in ourselves. If someone says, that's really good, we'll accept that. Right. It's true. It's hard to accept. Uh, it can be hard to accept praise. And I'll tell you, the first time I, I um, really got a glimpse of it, I was listening to a, uh, one of these um, – an author she was kind of a spiritual author i think she wrote about Mm -hmm. she was like a kind of like a psychic kind of author but she was pretty cool and so she was helping people on one of these online radio programs and the woman who come on the guest uh started off by saying oh thank you for and then she listed she named this author's latest book thank you i just loved it and then the author said of that book that she had written she said i know wasn't that a great book and she had no – I could, I could hear no ego around it. And I thought, you know what she's doing? She's treating that book that she wrote like a song she heard on the radio. In other words, mm-hmm. the thing came to her, and that's what it's like. When ideas for stories, they come to us. We translate them. We're like – you know, we shepherd them into the world, and we give them form. But the truth is, the, humil- the reason I think she was humble and why an author can be humble when someone thanks them for something they've written and – you can say thank you. You can also agree with them. Like, I know, I, that was an awesome story. Because you were not wholly responsible for it. You can't take full credit for it. I'm, I don't know if you remember the conversation I did with James Lee Burke, um, RJ, but I, that was like a year and a I half did. ago or so. Do you I remember did. him? I think I, I think I may have been producing that show with you. I yeah, I think, oh, you were there. Well. Yeah, but you may not remember it. But he, So James Lee Burke, 80-whatever years old now, He's written 30-something books. He's a crime writer, too. He's not, he's not writing spiritual tracts. You know? He doesn't do the kind of stuff I'm doing. He writes crime mm-hmm. fiction, literary crime, what you would call literary crime fiction, but it's crime fiction. And he said, he was the first author I talked to who was just absolutely unabashed about it. He said, if you think you write these things, you're nuts. You're wrong. You can't do it. It's you and something else. Make peace with whatever God you pray to, because it's not yes. you. It's you and something else. And if that, if you really understand that relationship, you call it your muse, call it source energy, spirit. I don't care. Whatever you, your imagination. I've used that a lot. Um, that's where you can hold on to the humility because you're just accessing 
something. It's not all you. In fact, when I recognized that, um, it made writing easier because it took some of the pressure off me. I wasn't that really that, that I Bill, I remember that 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 um, show very well because yeah. that stuck with me. That resonated so deeply, yeah. especially for me being impressed as I was by his body of work. Just yeah. again, how just I'm not going to say he was sort of laissez faire about it, no big deal. But he understood its importance. It's his work. It's his life. But he was like, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's out there for, I did it. It's out there for everybody. Take it for what it is. I'm happy I'm moving on. I, I really, that, I, that to this day, I still recall that interview. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He really was unapologetic about it. See, I mentioned this because a lot of writers, you, 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 you know what I'm talking about when I say the ideas came to you. If you write fiction, your characters start talking. There's that sense of discovery and surprise. There's a sense of like some, you're in, something's in the room with you. If, you're, if writing is going well, if you're cooking, if you're getting lost in the dream of the story, if you're like me, you, do, you may be physically by yourself, but you do not feel alone. I never feel less alone than when I'm writing. That is the, that I feel I want, to, that's a wonderful point. I want to extrapolate on that because I hear sure. this asked of me all the time. You know, you sit by yourself, you're in that den, you're always doing that stuff. Don't you get lonely? And you know what? <laughs> Thank you for giving me an answer. I finally have the right answer. Yeah. Short and sweet. I'm not alone. There's a crowd around me. There's oceans and there's big waves and there's thunderbolts. No, there's action and activity and an entire cast. There's a, there's a cinema going around me. Thank yeah. you, Bill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use well, that. Well, it's true. I'm asked that all the time. Why do you do this alone? Aren't you lonely? No, I'm not. I, there's times you and I know when we're in that zone and we step away and we go, two things. And Ray Bradbury said this as well, and I love him for this. I can't believe that came out of my head. I can't believe we just did yeah. that. And then we need to go someplace quiet, someplace else alone to be quiet. And right. I know you know that makes right. sense. So here's a funny story. Uh, I, I can't, I've written about it, and I can't remember where. Maybe it'll be on the Writer's Digest blog or an author. I can't remember. I can't keep up. But I had this experience over Christmas. My wife, my mom was here, and, and we were watching football together because I don't get to – I'm the only football fan in my house. And so my mom was there, and she's a football fan, so we were having a lot of fun watching football together. And my, it was right before Christmas, and so Jen, my wife – she really does most. She she was going to start wrapping presents while we watch, and she went out to the studio where she actually works normally. That's where her her desk is. But she was out there wrapping presents, and there was, and she came in at one point like at halftime, and she was like, "Are you guys still watching this game?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's a close one. I think we are." And she kind of uh, and she went she went back into the into the studio, and and I and so it, towards the end of the game, I was like, I got to go talk to her. So I go out there. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry, Jen. It was, you know, the game was on. She's all, I didn't care about that. She was just, I was lonely. I wanted to talk to some people. I've been out here by myself for the last, you know, hour and a half, just wrapping presents. Mm -hmm. And then she Mm -hmm. turned to me and she said, you know, it's funny. She says, I'll be out here for three hours writing and drawing. I never feel lonely. But when I come out here just to wrap presents, then I feel lonely. And that's because when you go out there to create, you feel connected to, well, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it yourself, to your guidance, but you feel connected to something. And you are not lonely. You are not disconnected. Uh, but if you're just out there, in her case, just wrapping presents and kind of get an antsy, she feels she needed some human connection, uh, which strangely you can get on your own writing. It was a great example 
of why we don't feel alone. But I want to just point out, I want to say to all of you, I really think of it this way with writing, which is an intelligence and ideas and character, all the stuff like, where do these ideas come from? Where do they come from? One way I think of it is like this, is if you think of the internet like intelligence, like where the ideas come from, and you think of your imagination and your curiosity like Google. Everybody's got Google, if you have a computer, and everybody's connected to the Internet. But the questions you ask the Internet via Google is what determines the answers you get. And you ask the kinds mm-hmm. of questions that interest you. So everyone, I think, is connected to the same thing. But we're all asking different questions. And the questions we ask determine the answers we get, determines the stories we tell. Because stories are just like, what should happen next? What if I could fly? What if, uh, you know, what's a story I could tell about fear or about loneliness? We ask questions, we get answers. We ask questions, we get answers. Most of writers are, what writers do is ask questions. And if you can think of where your stories come from as belonging to everybody, where your ideas come from, uh, where your thoughts come from as belonging to everybody, that helps level the field also. And it also helps, I think, me understand why things look so different for so many people because everybody's asking different questions. Everybody's got their own. Does that make sense? It's absolutely. But still trying to find a commonality in their work that people will relate to. That could be a quandary or that could be an opportunity to be even more creative, to find your own place of what you want to say, what you want to most read. And if other people want to read that as well, well, mission accomplished. But if you enjoyed the process and you wrote what you love and you're in that moment, well, that's still a win. That's right. So everybody has what it takes. What do you think about that, RJ? Does that make sense? It does. It does. But again, I think it has to, for me personally, it needs to be joined with a couple of other very important things. One of them we talked about is humility. Yeah. The other thing we talked, I brought up, and you've talked, you and I have spoken about this a number of times about the sense of being grateful. I yeah. think there's nothing no more important things that can. There's nothing more important in your mind, especially during stressful times, when you can just sit down and say, "Well, wait a minute. Let me stop for a minute here. Let me quiet all those other voices and noises. What am I grateful for right now? What's making yeah. me happy?" Yeah. Yes, it's good. Great gratitude. And appreciation, you can call it appreciation, is like, I, I think that is you lining up with who you are. And in fact, when you think about writing, RJ, writing is actually a form of appreciation because you're saying, what is the kind of story I appreciate? Because you're telling the kind of story that you want more of in the world, right? So what is it some exactly. people who write science fiction appreciate what science fiction is? And people who write literary coming-of-age stories appreciate what – it is a form of appreciation, of sort of lining up with life. I think appreciation of saying yes to life is you getting in alignment with it. Appreciation. What do Absolutely. I love and what can I do with that love? I want to share that love because you and I have also spoken many times, Bill, about what we do is sharing. We're yeah, sharing. That's We're it. Sharing, yeah. sharing the contents of our head. Yep. Absolutely. So I think those things in combination are, are, are important. And this is what I also convey to people that I mentor and also, and I coach still when I have some time, is to keep those things in mind before they sit down. 
and that quiets a lot of the other dissonant voices. And yeah. then, Ooh, it's uh, good. then you're in yeah. that zone and you step up and you, I tell them this, if you wonder if you're in the right place, you're writing what you want to write. If you sit down and you look around you and half an hour has gone by, you're in the right zone. That's right. Go back to that. That's zone. right. Yeah. You know, you're onto something. Well, and also removing the ego. It, it seems, well, we are all ego. We are from children when we want things in our terrible twos. Give me, give me, give me mine, mine, mine. Sure. But it's also a separation of being not no longer, no longer being egocentric, but just being comfortable with yourself on all your conscious levels. And we, well, and I'll tell you, Bill, that what we're doing is essential because there's so much divisiveness, right. not to get political, there's so much divisiveness and conflict now. And I think so much of it is, based, is egocentrically based. Of course. And when we create oh. love and fear, we're removing the ego, which makes us that's better right. people. And I think that's what helps us have what it takes to live the best life. That's right. That's that actually true. The idea that everyone has what it takes, and I mean it, meaning to succeed in whatever you do. Not every, by the way, everybody doesn't have what it takes to write because not everybody wants to write. Like that is not the path for everybody. Novel writing, or it's not, but everybody has their own unique path. But if you have ever sat down and gotten lost in a story and you go into that zone, then writing is certainly within your field of, of, of joy. But everybody exactly. has it. But the, but the idea that everybody has it is if, if you can see that, that, seeing the world without your ego because the ego wants nothing to do with everybody's the same the ego has to divide everything up and make things better or worse it's just the way it views everything and so the idea that everybody does is a way of 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 training yourself to see the world not through the lens of the ego but through the lens of of love which is why i like it so much but so we're almost done our time is almost up rj one more quick quick point i want to make bill in regard to that as sure. difficult as life can be, and it is, especially in these challenging times, there's joy is still just in the background. It's a shadow just waiting to come to be shown in the light. So through these processes and, and thinking this way, feeling this way, you're going to find surprising times when all of a sudden you feel really happy. You may not even know why, but you find yourself smiling to yourself. They're all related. Yes, it's true. It's true. There is always joy there. It's true. There is always joy, but you do have to choose to focus on it. It doesn't. Well, it will it come is, to you sometimes, but you you must choose it. Exactly. Well, Bill, I find I told you I'm tenacious, and I will find a way. And again, with people in their writing and their work, they will find a home for it. Their story will find a place where someone loves it too, gives them a sense oh, yeah. of joy. Uh, but Absolutely. I finally get to do this. Bill, I have one more question for you. All right. If writing has taught you anything, <laughs> as well as having what it takes, what is it? Oh, God, you want me to answer? What a stupid question. Now, why would someone ask that question? All right. If, what, if, if, writing, has, if, if writing has taught me anything, mm-hmm. it's taught me, you know, it's kind of taught me everything. But I think mm-hmm. it's taught me that you cannot, you can't choose what you love. You can only choose to follow it. You oh. can't choose what you love, but you can choose to follow it or not. And I know that because I know what it's like to choose something I love and follow it, and I know what it's like not to. And the difference is night and day. 
That's what it's talking about. That is wonderful. That's perfect, though. What a wonderful answer. See, you just needed the opportunity to be asked yeah. to give back this That's wonderful right. answer. <laughs> Thank That's you, right. my friend. This has been a, speaking of a joy. This has been an absolute joy for me. What a wonderful experience. And I want to thank you as well for having the opportunity to do these shows with you every week. They are yeah, absolutely life-affirming, and I learned so much from you and your wonderful guests. And I look forward to many, many more in the future. Well, thank you, RJ. Uh, So glad to have you on. You're a great help with this. You're a great friend. And I want to say to our listeners that next week I will be back with Carrie Flanagan, who's one of those lovely uh, Writer's Digest authors who uh, runs the uh, Writer's Digest Author Exchange on Facebook. And she's a wonderful author herself. And she'll be back. Uh, She'll be my guest next week. So, RJ, I'll see you next week. I'm so looking forward to it. She's a wonderful person, writer, and just she brings me joy. Thank you, my friend. She's a sweetheart. Okay, everybody. See you next week.